Welcome to the City Alliance Church Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our messages. Our prayer is that you would listen, learn, and be inspired to love God, love others, and serve the world. Subscribe and share these messages to bless others. Here's this week's message. My name is Dan, and I'm one of the elders here at City Alliance Church, but I will tell you just a little bit more about myself and my family. Uh, I've lived in Williamsport for about 17 years now. Um, I am a, a lifelong church attender, and I come from a family background of strong faith. Um, I'm blessed to be married to my wife, Carol. Yes, and today, in fact, we are celebrating 18 years of marriage, so let's praise God for that. You can see here, uh, this is... Uh, my wife's uh, graduation from nursing school only a few weeks ago. She is already an, a registered nurse working labor and delivery, and uh, she is an example to our whole family, and we are very, very proud of her, and I'm just blessed to be married to her, so I'm glad to celebrate her today. Um, also want to uh, praise God for our four beautiful daughters. Uh, if we could show them here on the slide, that's right. We have Madeline, Eleanor, here we'll start here, Madeline, Eleanor, Miriam and Beatrice. See, I even get them confused on the slides. (laughs) That's right. Um, It's really a blessing and a joy to see God working in the lives of each of our girls and uh, shaping our family in the process. Church, you've been a part of that process uh, here at City Alliance. We started attending here uh, post-pandemic, but we've really been friends with many of you for many years, and uh, we really felt immediately right at home here at City Alliance. So I'm really glad that we came, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to speak with all of you this morning. Today we're wrapping up our Voices series, and I'm really honored and humbled to be included in that group of people who spoke this month and shared their messages with us. So I'd like to open today's message and tell you about something that happened to me about 10 years ago. So one day I was looking at my bank account, and I noticed something wasn't quite right. Um, I saw a few purchases on my statement that I did not remember making. You know, sometimes things have, you know, weird words or or things you have to kind of figure out anyway. So I thought, well, maybe I did, maybe I just don't remember these things. But, But the more I looked at them, the more I said, no, this isn't stuff that I would have bought. These aren't sites that I've been to. Um, I realized that I hadn't made those purchases, so I asked Carol if she had used my card for anything recently, and she said that she hadn't. And it was also weird that it seems that, that these purchases were like from, from other states, like that they, they were from somewhere that we, we just you know, had never been to. It soon became apparent to me that someone else had found my debit card information, and they used it to make purchases online. So I called my bank's customer service hotline right away, and they were able to trace those purchases back to California or somewhere else, and uh, they immediately went to work to stop the payments, and they issued me a card, and they did the the whole thing, you know. Um, And they even went ahead and placed a security alert on my account, that actually still shows up to this day if anybody like runs our credit for something. Uh, so they do that just to make sure that it's safe and make sure that there's nothing else going on that we have to worry about. So church, I had been the victim of identity theft. 
So my identity had been stolen and used by someone else. So in the world of internet passwords and online banking, identity theft occurs when someone's personal information is compromised. When someone else gains access to that information illegally to use it as their own. So whether or not we've experienced identity theft, most of us understand what identity theft is and that it is a bad thing. As the famous theologian Dwight Schrute once said, identity theft is not a joke. Millions of families suffer every year. But did you know that millions of Christians suffer from identity theft every day? Now, I don't mean to alarm you. Like, nobody needs to get on your phones right now and check your bank accounts or anything like that. That's not what I'm talking about. No, what I'm talking about is that our identity is in Christ. We have a new identity when we believe, when we become Christians. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, the Bible says that we are given a new identity as beloved children of God. Our primary identity is no longer defined by the things of this world. We aren't just Americans or mothers or fathers or accountants or Republicans or Democrats. Our new identity is that we are a people made holy by God, called to be the light of the world. But here's the problem. We all know that even as Christians, we still struggle to live into that new identity and be the people God has called us to be. We still struggle to let go of past sins, and we still find it difficult to handle the problems we face every day. Maybe we get frustrated with our kids or our spouse, or maybe we explode in anger. Sometimes we find ourselves turning to things like alcohol, pornography, or, or food, to give us some sense of relief. Maybe we doubt God's sovereignty or goodness, or maybe we place our trust in material possessions or wealth. And as Christians, there seems to be this gap between the new identity that we've been given in Christ and the life we actually find ourselves leading. In short, we struggle to remember our new identity. So today I'd like to take a look at what the Bible says about identity. In particular, what does it mean for us as Christians to live into our identity as followers of Jesus Christ? First of all, the Bible says that Satan's intent is to steal, kill, and destroy. And that he prowls around like a roaring lion looking to devour us. Even after we're saved, we have an enemy who's working hard to break down every defense we've built for ourselves against his power. Satan, the devil, the enemy, wants to steal your new identity. So finding our true identity as believers is one of the most important steps we can take because it forces us to put off the old self and put on the new self, the one given to us when we first accepted salvation. Finding our identity in Christ helps to ground us and remind us of who we truly are as children of God. And it protects us from the attacks of this world, which ultimately Satan would want to throw at us. So I'd like to take a look at a passage of scripture today, which I believe speaks to us about our identity as believers. So if you would please join me, uh, open your Bibles or take out a Bible app um, to the book of Colossians, or you can just follow along on the screens. That would be fine. We're going to chapter three today. You can find that in the New Testament, not far from the back of the Bible. 
And so while you're doing that, let me just give you a little background on the book of Colossians. Colossians is the name given for a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the people of the city of Colossae, or Colossae. Colossae was located in modern-day Turkey, near the city of Ephesus, and the church in Colossae began after Paul sent his assistant Epaphras there to preach the gospel. The book of Colossians is actually a letter Paul wrote to the believers there, and it was meant to be circulated throughout the churches in that region. So from chapters 1 and 2 in the book of Colossians, we learn a few things about the church at Colossae and the purpose of this letter. The Colossian church struggled to accept their new identity as believers. Like many churches in the region at that time, this church was formed from two groups of people. Some were Jewish people who had accepted the gospel, but most were believers who were probably non-Jews who didn't grow up with all the rules and the requirements of the Jewish faith. Throughout the New Testament, we see evidence of tension between these two groups. On one hand, the legalists, the Jews, had believed it was important to keep all of those customs, those rites, those traditions, like um, ritual hand-washing, circumcision, and in some cases even sacrifices. Um, They believed that those were important um, and that those were how you shaped your faith. And in in many new churches— you know, there was these other groups of people coming in who had no background in the Jewish faith whatsoever. We sometimes refer to them as Gentiles. And these were folks that really didn't understand the rules and the regulations, and they didn't know anything about it. But the, the source of tension in the early church was when these groups of legalists tried to impose all the rules and restrictions on these new believers first before they had ever even, uh, before they could fully act out their faith. Um, they believed that these rules were a prerequisite to faith in Jesus, and they tried to um, tell the new believers this as well. So this caused an identity crisis among the believers in the early churches, and we know that the church in Colossae was no exception. In chapter 2, Paul explained that in order to live into their new identity as believers, both groups, Jew and Gentile, would need to shed their old ways of thinking and embrace a new life ahead of them. Here in chapter 3, Paul gives instructions to the church about living into their new identities as children of God. So if we could bring that up on the screen here, Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. Since you have been raised to new life, say new life, church new life. Set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth. Paul explains that when we focus on the Lord and acknowledge the reality of his existence and his supernatural work in our lives, that's when we take on our new identity. Verse 3, for you died to this life and your real life, say real life, real life, is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, say who is your life, who is your life, Christ who is your life. When Christ is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. What Paul's saying here, when, when we have died to this life, this means that we're no longer slaves to sin. We're called to put aside those earthly or worldly ways 
of thinking, which hold us back and allow Christ himself to be our new identity for us. With our life now hidden in Christ, we give ourselves permission to be free of sin, to put away the doubt, the fear, the anxiety, those things that grip us so strong. Church, Jesus is our new life. He is our new identity. One day, we will be resurrected and share in his glory. It's easy, right? Just turn things over and give it to God. Case closed, right? Unfortunately, any believer knows that that is not that easy. We know that just because we believe, we don't automatically stop sinning. We still give in to temptation. We still doubt. We still fear. We still have anxiety. We still judge others. The list continues. It goes on and on and on. Sometimes, even as believers, we feel empty and we feel unfulfilled. And we move through life without much real purpose. And we're constantly reminded by this world that we are imperfect people who fall short of God's glorious standard. In short, we struggle to accept our new identity in Christ. We struggle to remember our new identity. So why aren't we just instantly transformed? Why don't we suddenly just become better people? Satan, Satan wants nothing more than to put distance between you and God. He may not be able to pull us away from the Lord once we've accepted Jesus, but he will do everything in his power, everything possible to keep us from thinking and doing things which give glory to Jesus Christ. A big part of Satan's plan is to prevent us from giving glory to God, the glory that God deserves. Satan wants to steal your identity. So here's where I think Paul gives us some advice for how to shed our old sinful nature and begin to embrace our new identity as Christians. In verses 5 to 9, he tells us to put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within us. Things like sexual immorality and lust, greed, anger, malice, and even dirty language. If we search our hearts, I'm sure God will reveal to us those, those sins that we hold deep inside. In verses 10 to 11, Paul tells us, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. This is what we know in Bible language as sanctification. We must allow ourselves to be constantly renewed. Not that we need to be saved again and again and again and again, but we need to be cleansed and we need to be made pure. It's like, I think of it like silverware in a drawer that just needs to be polished because it sits in the drawer too long. We're to learn to be renewed. We learn who God is and we discover more of him and to become more like him, reflecting his heart with our own inward thoughts and outward actions. In verse 11, next slide here. Oh, you don't have that one. Okay, all right, I'll just read it. This is verse 11. In this new life, Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Paul reminds us that we have a new identity in Christ. 
Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. This is the Holy Spirit, church. The Holy Spirit lives in us as believers. The Holy Spirit acts like that security alert on my bank account. It shows up and reminds us when we're failing to live as children of God. That same power that brought Jesus back from the dead now lives inside of us, and he transforms us to be a new creation, pure and blameless before God. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we're no longer defined by our sin lurking within, but by the presence of the Holy Spirit giving us new life. The Holy Spirit reminds us of who we truly are. So I wore this shirt today. The shirt actually has a name, believe it or not. Matt, do you know the name for this shirt? This is Brian's Run, that's right. This is my Brian's Run shirt. It's so popular in my house that it actually has a name. It's got holes in it. You can see like right here, you know. I actually, when I put it on, my arm kind of went through the wrong spot. Uh, <laughs> it's got paint covered all over it, you know, and even on the back. It's threadbare. Um, and in fact, my wife has actually tried to throw it away on more than one occasion. I actually think that like I have rags in the garage that are probably more fit for wearing in public than this shirt, right? So if you're online and you wanna see my shirt, this is what it looks like, right? Okay, right? We, we all have those things that give us strange comfort, right? This shirt gives me strange comfort. And I'm sure if you're honest with yourselves, you have that old pair of sweats or that old sweatshirt or that old uh, T-shirt in your closet or PJs that are just too old and too worn out, and they're not fit for taking out in public, but you keep coming back to them because they give you some strange sort of comfort, right? So church, when we return to our sin, even after we've accepted Jesus Christ, it's like we're returning to these old clothes again and again and again. We just come back to them because our sin, like, it kind of gives us comfort, doesn't it? even though we might have something brand new and stylish and perfectly fitting just sitting in the closet, right? And that's that Holy Spirit. So how do we know when we're wearing our old clothes? How do we know when we're, we're still wearing these old things? Well, we know we're wearing our old clothes when we live in fear of the future, when we overemphasize money and wealth, when we continue to doubt God's goodness, when we act selfishly towards our spouse or our children, when we give in to temptation, when we fail to forgive others, or when we fail to forgive ourselves. Our old clothes are the things that hold us back from experiencing the goodness and the richness of this new life, the new identity that we've been given in Jesus Christ. So Paul, I believe here, is comparing us putting our new nature, putting on our new nature, as putting on new clothes. Paul's going to help us learn to dress for success. So we dress in a way that should align with our identity. Let me see if I can give you a few examples. Think about this. Fall is coming, believe it or not. I know it's a beautiful, sunny summer day out here, but fall is right around the corner here in central PA. And so let's say you're driving out of town and you see someone wearing camo and bright orange and they're headed towards the woods on foot, right? So they're probably going hunting, right? 
Uh, and when you go to a doctor's appointment, you expect your doctor to walk in well-dressed, maybe wearing a lab coat, uh, maybe wearing some nice loafers or something like that, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Right, and police officers, they wear a uniform so we, ex- we know exactly who they are and why they are there at, on the scene. So you know who these people are and why they are wearing what they are wearing, and you know a little bit about them just from what you see on the outside. Their identity in their respective context is that of hunter, doctor, police officer. And so they assume the responsibilities associated with those particular tasks. Now, imagine if you went to a doctor's appointment and, and he or she shows up in old sweats. Or that police officer arrives onto the scene wearing cut-off jorts and a sleeveless t-shirt and a trucker hat, right? Not exactly the symbol of trust. Okay, so putting on our new clothes first involves shedding those things that hold us back. This begins with the acceptance of our own shortcomings and recognition of our inability to improve our situation apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe Colossians 3.12 shows us the first steps to taking off our old clothes and putting on our new clothes. Because God chose us to be holy, we must clothe ourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He calls us to make allowance for each other's faults, and we are called to forgive others. So Paul emphasizes a shift of focus away from ourselves and toward those around us. He calls us to clothe ourselves in tender-hearted mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. We're to forgive others and make allowance for their faults. So these are outward actions, but they're reflective of the heart attitude within. Our new identity on the inside should be the same as what people see on the outside. Paul says, care for others. Show them true empathy, leeway, and forgiveness. Remember that the same God who saved you is the same God who can or even did save them. He died for you the same as he died for them. So I'd like to take a moment to just tell you a brief story from my own life. Uh, Many of you probably know already that I'm a teacher. Uh, Specifically, I'm a music teacher, and even more specifically than that, I teach band. All right. So I was hired to my first full-time teaching job back in 2007. This is actually my very first year teaching. Uh, You can see that, uh, you know, the kids kind of look happy on stage. I kind of look not so happy. Um, But also, like, um, you know, Pastor Nithin says I haven't aged quite a bit, but I don't know. If you look right around here, I think there's a little less maybe, but I don't know. Thank goodness for old phones that didn't have high def, I guess, right? Okay. Um, Anyhow, um, so uh, when I was hired, though, into that job, I was happy to have a job, but I really wasn't thrilled with the lack of momentum I saw in that program, and I I really um, wasn't happy with the hour-long commute that went with it. Um, And I really just didn't have a lot of experience. I didn't know what I didn't know. And, you know, there's this old phrase among teaching that we teach the way that we've been taught. 
And so this was true for me. I really, you know, must have believed at the time as a young guy in my mid-20s that the best way I should get results out of my students was to come down hard on them and, uh, you know, some of my own teachers had done that with me. There was a decent amount of yelling. Uh, I remember getting angry and frustrated with my students on occasion. Um, I really felt like I demanded a lot of them, regardless of what they needed. Um, and this really wasn't always um, a place of education and growth for them. So since I remembered being yelled at in my high school days in marching band, and since I saw that that's what all the sports coaches did, um, I really believed that this was the best way for me to get results out of my students. But the truth is, things really were not good. Um, The further I got into my job, the more I realized just how inadequate I really was. Um, There were really problems showing up that I didn't know how to fix. The, the product that my students were putting out on the field really wasn't great, um, and I think a lot of it was due to my poor planning. Uh, the kids oftentimes weren't interested in coming back to band the next year, and so I, I would come home and I would unload all of my problems on my wife, and she was patient and she tried to help as much as she could, but of course I wasn't listening to her and to the things that she needed to talk about. Really, this whole thing was occupying my time and attention, and eventually I actually started dealing with bouts of insomnia because I was worried about outcomes that I'd had no control over. You know, folks, I was still wearing my old clothes. I had accepted Christ. Christ was part of my life, but I hadn't accepted that God had so much more planned for me. I was really frustrated. I'll get to the conclusion of that story a little bit later, but I'd like to go back to our passage for just a minute because I believe that in the last few verses of this passage, I think Paul has outlined a few actionable steps for us to take to live into our identity in Christ. I'd like to list four things from this passage that we can remember to do when we struggle to shed our old clothes. The first thing that we should do is love others. In verse 14, Paul instructs his readers this way, Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Our new identity in Christ begins with love. We must first receive the love of God and accept that he does indeed love us. And then we must begin to love others. This one simple instruction is capable of profound impact. What if we chose to love first and worry later? What if we chose to love first and look past the things or the people that have angered us and betrayed our trust? When we love others, we take on the identity of Christ because we're doing for others what he first did for us. So I was only a year or two into my first job when my security alert went off. The Holy Spirit helped me realize I wasn't living into my true identity. And I was still wearing my old clothes. I started using my hour-long commute to listen to sermons and Christian music and to pray. And God began speaking to me. He, He started teaching me how to wear my new clothes. I soon felt convicted that I had been focused more on how this job made me look and how it made me feel 
than how it made my students feel. And God showed me that he had uniquely positioned me for a purpose in that role. I remember coming to the realization that my purpose was was less about me and more about the students and the families I was serving through my teaching. So I chose to embrace my new identity in Christ and to live like a child of God, and soon others began experiencing his love through me. As I was preparing the sermon, I remembered almost by accident that this verse is the very verse that my wife and I had recently framed and put over our bed. This verse has served as an excellent reminder to me these past few days. You don't make it through 18 years of marriage without being willing to clothe yourselves in love. It's important. It's important to clothe yourselves in love and to care deeply for one another. And that goes beyond marriage. So I hope you can find a way to clothe yourselves in love this week as you interact with others. The second action we can take is to seek peace. Paul says in verse 15, And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. We're called to live at peace with one another. It doesn't mean that we can't have disagreements with one another. That's just part of life. But it does mean that we can seek to interact in ways that are considerate of other people, including their needs and emotions. This is especially critical for church unity. So many churches have divided over small issues. When we seek peace with others, we allow room for the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us. As a young teacher, I needed peace. My mind and my heart were troubled. I needed to seek the peace of God and allow it to live in me. I chose to clothe myself in peace. Inwardly, that meant trusting God to control the outcomes and leading me when I wasn't sure how to proceed. Outwardly, that meant trying harder to make my students feel worthy and appreciated and keep control of my emotions toward them. In fact, I actually had a student uh, who had been a freshman during my first year who visited me shortly after her graduation, and she said, you know, Mr. Schwanger, you've changed quite a bit since you first came here. She said, you used to yell at us, but now you're like, chill. (laughs) And and I could just tell by the way she said it that that she was saying it was a good thing. You know, she, she didn't want me to be yelling at the new students, right? She liked it. She thought that she liked the new and improved Mr. Schwanger much more. So I also believe that the third actionable step that we can take is to remember the gospel. Jesus' death on the cross paid for everything. Jesus died for my sins. He died for your sins, past, present, and future. I've been transformed. I've been given new life. He's rescued me from the effects of sin. It doesn't matter what you are or who you are 
or what you're going through. Jesus died so that you can have hope through the pain, step beyond the worry and the anxiety, so you can be free of the worldly bondage to sin. Verse 16 says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Keep the gospel message at the forefront of your mind. Always remember that God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die for you. His desire for you is that you would be like him, that you would live a life free from sin and shame. When I finally realized in my job that I I didn't have all the answers, my teaching improved. I realized that the gospel was sufficient for me and that my identity was as a child of God, not as a slave to the patterns and behaviors of the world or my past. When we acknowledge God's gift, it should really lead us to the fourth and final step that we can take to put on our new clothes today, and that's to be thankful Say thankful, church. Paul says it three times in this passage alone. He refers to thanks and gratitude. When we remember that God did, when we remember what God did for us, our response should be gratitude to him. Gratitude for saving us. Gratitude is the enemy of worry. In psychology terms, it's what's known as a competing response. I've heard recently that neurologists have found it's very difficult for gratitude and anxiety to exist in our brains at the same time. One of the reasons I had so much difficulty putting on my new clothes as a young teacher was anxiety. Anytime those feelings of uncertainty or inadequacy set in, the anxiety was soon to follow. And as a person who struggled with anxiety all of my life, this was difficult. But I can also say that one of the most helpful things for me, especially recently, has been to look for those things that I'm grateful for. And in in that moment before a panic attack sets in, think about that thing that I can be grateful for. Pray to God, thank you for this opportunity and this ability that you've given me to do this one thing. In fact, I prayed that prayer this morning, and it's helping. It helped. If you're a person dealing with anxiety or worry, I'd encourage you to try this next time that you sense the downward spiral of emotions. But even if you aren't in this situation, I'm sure that there are times or places in your life that you wish were better. So why not start by being grateful for the abundant gifts that God has given you? So let me ask you, and we'll call the band up here now, is there a security alert going off in your mind right now? Is there an area of your life where the Holy Spirit is asking you to let go? What old clothes might you still be wearing? Maybe there's a sin or a habit in your life that you want to be rid of. Maybe you just can't be rid of it. Maybe you just keep coming back to it. Maybe there's a person or people in your life that you just really don't know how you can possibly forgive. You just refuse to do it. Maybe you find yourself focused more on wealth and possessions and, and, and security and happiness instead of relying on the Holy Spirit to provide for you. 
Maybe you live in fear that anxiety is going to set in at any moment. Maybe if that's you, ask the Holy Spirit to help you take that one actionable step forward today. It's time to shed those old clothes. Shed these clothes and accept the new clothes that God has given you. So maybe you're thinking, easier said than done. I've tried that. It doesn't work. I've tried to shed my old clothes, but I just, I just keep coming back to them. The first thing I would tell you is have hope. Nothing you're going through is outside of God's power to redeem. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. The next thing I would say is to take action. Do that thing. Take that one step today forward from where you are. I'd also like to take a moment just to speak directly to any of you who may be deeply hurting right now. Maybe you just aren't sure how you can go on another day. If that's you, I would just like to say, seek help. Seek out help. Go to a person you trust or come see a member of the prayer team or, or the elder team or see Pastor Nathan. We're here for you. We want to pray for you. We want to help lift you up. And as a church, that is our role. We have a responsibility to do that for one another. You shouldn't have to face this alone. And I also want to say this. Remember that it is always okay to seek professional help. It is always okay. I would also like to speak to any of you who just aren't sure today that you've been given a new identity in Christ. And maybe the reason that you haven't accepted your new identity is because you just haven't accepted the saving power of Jesus Christ. Perhaps this is a new idea for you today, so I get it, but I would just ask you this, what's holding you back? Remember that God loves you deeply whether or not you love him back old clothes and everything. He loved you enough to lead you into this room this morning. He loves you so much that he desperately wants to give you new clothes today. The Bible says he's got a perfectly tailored robe waiting for you in his hands right now. He wants to clothe you with his love, with his righteousness, with his faithfulness. All you have to do is just hold out your hands and ask him to give it to you. Church, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gathering today. We thank you for your words today, speaking to us through your scripture. God, we struggle, even as believers, Lord, we struggle to put on our new clothes. We struggle to live into that new identity that you have given us. But Lord, we know that we can do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, set off the security alarms. Set them off in hearts this morning so that we might see those areas of our life that we are struggling to give up. Those things that we, that we just deny might even exist, but they're deep inside and we're holding them in and we're suppressing them today. Free us from these things so that we can live out and live into the new identity that we have in Jesus Christ. Folks, I'm just feeling, Lord, that, um, that you can, can bring us out of this place. Lord, we know that you are capable, that you are strong. You, Lord, are mighty to save.
Church, as we continue to pray, you might be thinking right now, I don't know that I've accepted Jesus. I don't know that I've been given that new identity. If that's you right now, I would just ask you to just search your heart and listen to what God is telling you right now. Maybe God is saying, I want to give you new clothes. I want to give you a new robe, new identity. If that's you right now, I would just ask you in earnest right now to to pray this prayer with me. I'm going to ask the rest of the church to pray with us because we all are seeking our new identity. Whether or not we are saved or not, we are asking God to give that to us. But if you are right now in that moment unsure of your new identity, I would ask you to to pray with me right now so that God would give you that new identity in Christ. If you could pray these words with me. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm still wearing my old clothes. Lord, give me your new clothes. Clothe me in your righteousness. Clothe me in your faithfulness. Give me your saving power. I can't do this myself. I need you, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Convict me of those things that I've done. Free me from my sins and give me new life in you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer this morning, welcome to your new clothes. They are perfectly fit and perfectly tailored, and they are just perfectly in style. God's given you a new drip. (laughs) But seriously, if you prayed that prayer this morning, we want to connect with you. Make sure that you don't leave today without praying with somebody, without seeing somebody out at our table in the lobby. We would love to meet with you and connect with you and show you your next steps today. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that today's message encouraged and inspired you. If you live in the Williamsport region of PA, we'd love to engage you in person. You can find more information on service times, city groups, and our incredible kids and youth ministry at citylions.org. That's citylions.org.